listening to Expand Your Horizons, the podcast for English language teachers and wanderlust indulgers. This is Lauren and Shannon, teacher training duo of TefelHorizons.com. Each week, we bring you teaching advice, travel tips, and inspiring stories from around the globe. Here's to making this big world a little smaller by connecting ESL teachers everywhere. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Expand Your Horizons. Our guest this week is Andrew Watson. Andrew got his first teaching job in South Korea in 1994, and since then, he's held a variety of EFL jobs, including teacher, IELTS oral examiner, young learners coordinator at the British Council, CELTA and ICELT teacher trainer and developer, and he's also built an alternative career as a broadcaster and a journalist. He has a Delta certification and an MA in applied linguistics. Andrew has a particular interest in the language of classroom interaction and the development of literacy in adults and children. He has a great deal of experience working with young learners, and that's something we haven't really talked about at TEFL Horizons too much. So I'm very happy to have Andrew here today to give us some insight about the differences between working with adults and working with children in the ESL classroom, and also so that he can share some tips and strategies with us for teaching young learners both in the physical classroom and online. Also, if you've been following us, you probably know that we are doing a webinar series right now. It's a free series of workshops that we're doing every Friday, and the next webinar will be this Friday, April 24th at the time of recording this. So if you can join us, I'll share the link to the show notes where you can register and save your seat. So now without further ado, let's welcome Andrew. Hi, Andrew. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Shannon. All right. Uh, so I'm excited about this episode because what I want to talk to you about today is teaching young learners specifically and differences between teaching adults and young learners. And I'm excited because this is a topic that I, I don't know a whole lot about. If you know me, if you were one of my trainees or if you've listened to the podcast a lot, you probably know that teaching young learners um, is sort of very publicly not my thing. Um, so Andrew, I'm excited to have you here to tell me a little bit about teaching young learners and to give our audience some insight as well. So um, to start though, before we jump into our topic, could you just briefly give us a, a short introduction of yourself? Tell us you know, where you're based, what you do, all that good stuff. Yeah, well, um, I was a teacher to young learners of, of English as a foreign language in South Korea. Um, but then I, I moved here to Mexico City in the late 90s. Um, so I've been here ever since, 22 years. Um, I've, in that time, I've accumulated a uh, bilingual Mexican son and, and citizenship. So... Uh, so yeah, I mean, I sort of have a personal interest in this area as well. But mm -hmm. I w work as a, a teacher trainer on CELTA courses and other international house teacher training courses, and I'm also an examiner. Okay, great. Yes, yeah, so lots of experience with teaching young learners and with the experience of young learners, it sounds like as well. So to start, tell us a little bit about the differences between adults and young learners. What would you say are the key differences in terms of how they learn and what they're like in the classroom. Yeah, I think first off, you've got to mention that most worldwide, most language teaching takes place in mainstream schools mm -hmm. to children rather than private language institutions where adults often go. Right? So 
And, and teaching adults is often directed towards special purposes, for example, business and academic study, whereas children have a more sort of like nebulous reasons often for, for studying uh, English as a foreign language. Right? So um, that, that's one of the key things. And also the, the developmental aspect to it, um, you know, um, adults may vary within a class, usually in their attitude to learning the language and their motivation. Um, but development of children, that may vary hugely between children, even of the same age. So development is a complex uh, area and it may be influenced by family, school, culture, cognitive and affective factors. Right? So some children may be capable of more logical deeper and abstract thinking mm -hmm. and, and also be more cooperative with their classmates and you but others you've got to bear in mind will only just be beginning to develop these skills right? um, so there are age groups um, typically you know very young learners are five years and, and below mm -hmm. then you've got the six to eight year olds just beginning school they need training in classroom routines, listening to the teacher, following instructions. Then you've got the 9 to 11 year olds, they've got a longer attention span but they can still get tired quite easily, they need a lot of a variety of tasks uh, to do. The, the 12 to 15 year olds, they're kind of being in between being children and young adults and they're often confused about appropriate ways to behave. Mm -hmm. And then, then you've got the 15 to 18 year olds not legally adults, but they still need care and protection while at school. Often they're more like adults in terms of their motivation. They need a clear focus for their studies. So um, one of the key issues uh, with younger children is they've got no real, real motivation to learn a new language. Mm -hmm. They don't see the need to learn another language at all. Um, perhaps older ones who uh, perhaps they want to go study in, in Canada... Uh, or the US, they, from the Mexican perspective, they might be more motivated in the, the language studies. Um, thirdly, you could say that young children are still learning their own language. Mm -hmm. They may not able, be able to read in the, the new language or at, perhaps they're at early stages in their reading development. Adults... Mm -hmm. Yeah, adults come to learning with a, a new language with a history of education behind them. And they have past experience, they've developed attitudes and beliefs about themselves as learners, and, and that can be a help or a hindrance. That's a great uh, point. Yeah, they have yeah. this, not baggage exactly, but they have this yeah. whole history of learning behind them for better or worse. Yeah. Uh, well, whereas younger learners, they st they're still open to learning and have n not so many in inhibitions. Mm -hmm. um, so it's possible for us as teachers to help those students form positive attitudes to foreign language study. Yeah, they're kind um, of blank slates <laughs> in that Exactly, sense. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, another thing is that adults learning a foreign language, they can focus exclusively on doing that. Whereas children are learning many things at once. They're developing knowledge about the world. Um, and it can seem 
the younger learners are taking too long to, to make progress. So you've got to be patient as a teacher. Be prepared to progress most, more slowly and tie in the teaching of the foreign language with the learning in other areas, mm-hmm. including social skills, you know, learning how to learn, uh, conceptual development, development of positive attitudes to foreign language learning, helping them to, to, to learn about the world, collaborating socially and so on. Great um, mm-hmm. My sixth point <laughs> is that adults make attempts to memorize new language learned usually, and they have opportunities outside the classroom sometimes to, to practice. But if you're a teacher of children, you need to be recycling language frequently in a variety of fun ways if it's to be retained and used. Um, the topics that you use in the classroom, with, with adults, um, you can almost do any topic, right? They're usually interested also in learning about their classmates. Whereas the world of the children tends to revolve around themselves, what they like and dislike, their mm-hmm. family and friends, their own personal space or environment. So as teachers, we need to relate much of the content to children themselves, about their friends, their home, their classroom, their toys, and so on. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it sounds like yeah. adults are learning much more intentionally. You know, they're, um, what's the word? I can't think of it at the moment, but they're coming into it with the attitude of, okay, I want to learn this and I'm going to sit down and learn this. Whereas with children, it's almost, you know, they're doing what they're told. Their parents told right. them to go to this lesson or whatever. And then they're just kind of learning by default because they're there, <laughs> but they're not right. intentionally trying to learn the way that adults are. Mm. Uh, another thing I mentioned from what you said is, it seems that children are often grouped based on their age, you know, so even the classifications that you gave us, you have the very young learners, five and below, yeah. and then you kind of went up by age, whereas adults are grouped by level. So an adult, you know, takes a placement yeah. test and they're going to be put at, at their language level, the pre-intermediate level, let's say whether they're 25 years old or 75 years old, um, whereas kids, I think it's more common, would you say, that you're getting age groups and then you might That's have right, yeah. varying levels within that age group whereas adults are just grouped based on what their English level already is. Yeah, the literature in this area often refers to Jean Piaget, who's mm-hmm. the famous educator and he mentions you know the stages of development. But um, there's you know there's been more current research since the you know the 20s when he was doing that research. And uh, and these are pretty much you know th- there is some uh, development variation according to contexts and cultural practices, but those the ones I mentioned are pretty common around the world. Right, right. So for somebody like me, who you know, even with a lot of teaching experience with adults, uh, who has very little teaching experience with young learners, what preliminary mm. advice would you give? Um, well, be. Uh, be prepared for the fact that they get they get bored quite easily. Okay. Um, you, you know, adults, your adult students, even if they're bored, they'll probably be too polite to show it. Um, mm-hmm. But the the younger learners will let the teacher know <laughs> when they're bored. And uh, you know, but bored children will not focus on the lesson, and they can be quite disruptive. So. Um, 
and, and can develop ne negative attitudes. So you need to make those activities interesting, fun, and as varied as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great point. One thing, you, one thing you might have noticed is that, you know, adults are generally not as good as good at mimicking as, as uh, children. Um, so that's one area where children are, are superior to adults as language learners is their ability to imitate a pronunciation model. Yeah. So yeah. Mm -hmm. if, if you're teaching kids, give them lots of high quality input and models, um, lots of exposure to the language, opportunities through for repetition through chants, mm -hmm. rhymes, songs and stories and other language activities. Um, I, regarding the advice, I would try and find a, a more experienced mentor who can guide and give you advice. Mm -hmm. um, but even if you don't have one at the school you work on, you know, there are some good global exemplars who give excellent advice through their presentations and seminars one for me would be carol reed who's based in madrid um and she's she's got five excellent survival strategies which i could mention oh great okay yeah the first one is look after your voice right so you, you you're not shouting all the time over the the students right you need to find your natural pitch and stick with it do vocal cord exercises her second advice I found is very useful is having routines for both students and the teachers. You know, routines for taking the register, telling the stories and so on. Make sure you, you establish those early on during the, the honeymoon period. And those will help to create order and security in the classroom. Because I think a lot of uh, teachers who teach adults uh, are, are worried about losing control. And having these routines can help uh, a measure of control. Um, so these help to foster a learning community. Right? And also they allow routines, allow time for teaching and learning. You don't have to give instructions all, all the time. Um, but as, as the students get older, you can have little surprise breaks from the routines. Um, she also recommends looking for ways to be creative even in small ways you know like different ways of doing the the register or lining up in order of alphabetical order of surname or birth date um when you you have to prepare quite a lot of materials when you're teaching kids so make the most of those make mileage out of them um you'll make spend a lot of time making picture cards cutting up texts and make sure you can use these in flexible ways. Mm, great idea. Yeah. And reuse them, I would and imagine. Reuse them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have a box for them. Mm -hmm. And linked to this is another, find ways to reduce your workload. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For example? Do, well, do we have to mark every piece of work our students do? Or can we get them to do some peer correction? Oh, nice, mm -hmm. okay. Can, yeah, can we correct it? just for one thing, like use the past tense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And oh, not necessarily also, every little, that's probably more motivating for the students as well, not exactly, to feel like exactly. everything is being corrected in every yeah. activity. And also keep your lesson, lesson plans organized. 
it, you can use the same format and reuse them after we've reflected on how the class went. Great idea. I mean, that works for teaching adults as well. You know, you're going to end up yeah. teaching some of the same types of classes over and over, I think, regardless of who your students are. So, yeah, having some organization system where you can go back and, you know, edit as needed, like, oh, that one little activity, you know, needs to be tweaked in this way so it works better based on whatever happened in the actual class. But, yeah, super helpful mm. to have sort of a log of lesson plans you can refer back to. Mm. Exactly. Great. Okay, so that's Carol Reed that um, you've mentioned as a really nice resource for teaching young learners. I'll, for those of you listening, I'll, I'll put that name in the show notes so you can look a little bit more deeper into her if you'd like to, a little bit deeper into her, more deeper. Huh, I'm an English teacher. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, she's got a, a great website. You can check that out. Excellent. All right. Thank you for that suggestion. So um, you've already sort of talked a little bit about this in the sense of having routines, you know, monitoring your voice, but what are some other ways that you could advise teachers to deal with typical things that come up with young learners like classroom management issues or discipline issues? Yeah, exactly. When our classroom management goes right, everything falls into place. Mm -hmm. But when it goes wrong, everything else goes wrong. And <laughs> right. Le little learning takes place. So yeah. The uh, recommendation is from Carol Reed again is SOS. Um, the first S is softly, softly, right? So you go soft, slowly with communicative activities, um, which can be difficult to set up with kids, and they often don't see the point of them. Um, so when you introduce activities, make sure they're short and give reasons for doing them. Uh, remember that young learners generally have short attention spans, mm -hmm. so divide long tasks into mini tasks. Um, don't overuse, you know, the meta language and, and gra grammatical terminology that you learned on your, perhaps you, that works well with adults. Mm -hmm. um, so be careful with meta language and formulas. So, because uh, once once you lose their attention, that's when the classroom management uh, issues can arise because they they get distracted and start messing around. Um, the so that was the S in SOS. The O is only one person in the classroom whose behaviour you can change. Who do you think that is? Yours. There's only one. Yours. <laughs> yeah, yourself. So. Yes. You need to be a model of influence, not of control. Mm -hmm. mm. So you put in into place strategies like CBG, CBG, catch them being good. Um, what you need to do is focus on what they're doing right. So because the behavior in the classroom should be, be seen by them as being as important as their actual academic performance. And the final S is stay serene. Right? <laughs> um, you know, uh, play a waiting game. Um, at, when you're introducing an activity, don't start until you've got everyone's attention with open, neutral body language. Nice. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Stay serene. I mean, it's one of yeah. those things that sounds 
so easy, but I'm sure it takes some practice. Um, but that sounds like there are some practical ways to stay. It doesn't just mean keeping your attitude calm, but also, like you said, waiting until you have everyone's attention, having a strategy for getting everyone's attention and just being okay with maybe needing to wait for everyone's attention before you yeah. give instructions uh, or start an activity. Yeah, and that connects to not, not looking after your voice because there's a, temp, uh, a temptation to sort of shout and, mm-hmm. and to get everyone's attention. But no, you just need to just wait and then s- and maintain eye, eye contact with the students. And uh, sooner or later, one student will look at you and, and say, you think, you know, what... What does she want? What does he want? And uh, things will begin to calm down. Mm-hmm. Um, with teenagers, you need to uh, really a whole school policy, right? Because uh, more negotiation is required with, with with teenagers, especially regarding outcomes. And you need to give them more choices, right? Um, sh- show. Be- because they like to think them, of themselves as grown-ups. And they need to be shown that they have agency mm-hmm. as long as they, they participate in the class. I imagine teaching teenagers is a whole other ball game in terms of yeah. classroom management issues and rapport and things like that. Right. Yeah, and quite intimidating for some teachers, I would think, myself included. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so this is really helpful, and I can see how a lot of this would make sense in the physical classroom. Um, now, at the time of recording this, we're in the midst of the whole coronavirus pandemic, and what's happening at the moment is a lot of teachers are teaching online classes because we can't actually be in the physical classroom with students right now. So would you say that most of these strategies can be adapted to online learning as well? Yes. Um the ones, I think the main challenge is keeping their attention, mm-hmm. and keeping the, the children engaged. Now, you know, the novelty of virtual classroom, classrooms, virtual platforms quickly wears off. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the key thing is that they need to feel they understand uh, to remain, to keep them engaged. Um, so we, we need to intersperse lots of active praise and positive reinforcement of tasks. Um, for younger primary learners, that might mean, you know, thumbs up, um, virtual high fives for older, <laughs> older learners, yeah. Um, so, you know, those are the main challenges. In, should we then talk about some strategies? That would be wonderful, yeah. yes. Yeah. Well, I kind of borrowed a little bit from a former colleague of mine called David Vallant, who, who's, who blogs about this kind of thing. And um, he, his main recommendation is, is try not to be a talking head online. Right? So use TPR. Have you heard of TPR? Yes. So by TPR, you're talking about total physical response. Yeah, and yeah, believe but, it or not, mm-hmm. believe it or not, you can use it online. Okay, um, let's yeah. back up just a minute for our listeners who might not be familiar with TPR. Um, can you give just a very brief description of what that kind of learning is? Well, yes, it in, involves um, 
teachers giving commands mm -hmm. usually and uh, students responding physically and um, it involves quite a lot of listening on the part of the students and responding in a kinesthetic way right um, it's it's kind of like a like a version of simon says almost or something right in the esl classroom yeah 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 like teacher a teacher might say something like um you know stand up walk across the room open the door close the door whatever and the the students are proving that they can understand if they execute the action that the teacher asks them to that's it right. yeah so um and on in an online uh, environments you can get students to you know wave wave their arms in the air if the answer is true or put their arms by their side um, if the answer is false yeah mm, um, I like that. you can um, yeah I mean students need physical activities online just as much as they do in the classroom so have kids hold up stick little sticky notes with the answers mm -hmm. to the screen um, they could do the actions for song lyrics. Oh, that's they fun. Could, yeah, yeah. They can mine how they feel or mine how a story character feels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if students are yeah. still on video, I mean, yes, they're not in the physical room together, but if they're on video, they can still use all of those nonverbal cues and all of those like physical motions to communicate the way that they yeah. would in the physical classroom. Yeah, and also the, the teacher can use uh, physical gesture as well. Teacher puts hand behind ear by the webcam to show that you're listening. Mm -hmm. um, when correcting, you can do finger highlighting. Uh, highlight your fingers to, to, to maybe indicate where a word's missing in a sentence mm -hmm. in front of the webcam. Yeah, but uh, I would say that the rest of it is pretty much similar to the real-life classroom. You know, you still need to provide topics that students want to talk about. Um, their pets, for example, real or imaginary. Mm -hmm. um, and things like reusing language in different contexts, recycling, still applies. You still need to move from the receptive uh, use of the language in reading or listening to productive use of the language as you would in the classroom. Um, I think you need to use visuals more actively. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can have them behind your back so that the students can see through the camera but you've got the visuals behind you. Um, also important is a sense of continuity. You can give extension activities, keep a weather diary over the weekend, uh, oh, so yeah. that w when you come back together as a class, they can present what the weather was like. Mm-hmm. That's a great mm -hmm. idea. And I would imagine, depending on probably the age of the student and their comfort level with other technology tools, you know, you could even have some sort of shared 
Google Doc where you create the template for, let's say, this weather diary that you've mentioned, and then you know the student can go in and fill it in over the weekend. And as the teacher, you would actually get to see their progress, and you could leave little comments or something in the same document that they could then go back and look at. Mm-hmm which would be a lot of fun. It makes it a bit more interactive and it sort of feels like they're doing things, you know, with you in real time, even on their own time. Yeah. Great. It's interesting too with the camera. I didn't really think about this, but, you know, you have a lot more control over how much the student sees. So like you have the possibility of bringing other things into the classroom you know, fun objects, or like you mentioned, holding things behind your back to play guessing games. You know, you have all of the resources that you have at your home without having to actually physically carry them into a classroom and hide them from the students. Uh, So I imagine you could have a lot of fun with things like that, you know, describe this object, or, you know, I'm going to describe this object to you and you have to guess what it is, and then you you can hold it in front of the camera to show them and things like that. Right. And, um, Yeah, I mean, the visual thing is quite important. So you can also use uh, uh, emoticons and emojis mm-hmm. so you can give feedback on tasks online. Um, That's a really great idea as well. Yeah. Yeah. You can um, r- remember that students often need to, need time to think of, think before they interact mm-hmm. in an online speaking uh, speaking activity or writing activity. Uh, so, so it's it's important to give them useful vocabulary to, to say how they feel. Um, make sure that you give clear examples of the kinds of things they can say and language that they need to use um, in the in the task that you're giving them. Um, likewise, you can give them an element of of choice would you like to sing or rap would you <laughs> like to write or draw I love that yeah. that's a great idea and it sounds like something that you're mentioning is what we would call scaffolding which is really a fancy way for listeners um, who might not know this term but it's really a fancy way of saying sort of ordering the activities in the lesson so that each one kind of builds upon the last one um, so as you were saying, Andrew, kind of, you know, first giving students some useful vocabulary for this speaking task and, you know, maybe making that fun and visual somehow. And then the next stage could be draw pictures of that vocabulary. And then the next stage could be, you know, use it in some sort of conversation or game. Um, so it's getting sort of progressively more complex in terms of what you're asking the students to do with the same language. Mm. Great. Um, So it sounds like we're just starting to wrap up, but um, any other strategies that you would recommend or any final advice you'd like to give for adapting lessons for young learners online? Yeah, one thing that David Valant mentioned I really liked was having, when when you're planning your lessons, have a balance of linguistic and non-linguistic aims in your online lessons. Mm. Yeah, so it's not all like, you know, learn the present perfect. A non-linguistic aim might be something like develop students' abilities to guess or make predictions about a story. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and, and that gives uh, children, kids a, a, a meaningful reason to interact in, in the classroom. So, for example, 
you could have a chart on your slide and the idea is that you're going to as a teacher you're going to pre elicit predictions uh, using three images and a story title right? um, so on your chart you might have I think I see and I wonder right and you um, elicit ideas from the kids and the t you type the ideas on the chart on your, on your screen in Zoom or whatever, right? And um, so, for example, I think you, you will elicit the ideas and it might be a funny story. I think it's a funny story. Mm -hmm. um, I see, what do you see in the photos? Well, I see a girl and a giant panda. And then I wonder and you elicit the ideas from the kids. I wonder if the panda gets lost, right? So you have, I think, I see, I wonder on the chart. And now, now you play the audio as you would in the, the real life classroom and the students have to listen and find out if their guesses were right. Mm -hmm. So that's a, that's a nice non-linguistic aim for an online lesson. That's great. There's development um, of Yeah, that just made me think of prediction. something. Yeah, do you do much with um, Bloom's Taxonomy, or are you very familiar with it? Yeah. It's, um, it, it's a good resource that I just thought of. If, as a teacher, you're not super comfortable with the idea of non-linguistic aims or you're not quite sure what a non-linguistic aim looks like, I think Bloom's Taxonomy is a nice uh, resource. It basically is sort of these different levels of things that students might be able to do with language that kind of progress from more basic to a lot more advanced or a lot more complicated. So if you're listening and you're thinking, okay, you know, what do you mean by non-linguistic aim or how can I word my non-linguistic aims? Like what can I aim for students to be able to do that isn't just, as you said, use the present perfect, <laughs> Andrew. Um, yeah, I'll link to the show notes to something where you can read about Bloom's taxonomy, but basically it gives you a lot of different verbs that you can use, like as you said, make predictions or compare and contrast, um, or I don't know what, you know, make implica imply information or, um, so yeah, a helpful resource for thinking about that. And I love the idea of thinking along those lines rather than everything focusing around specific grammar, or specific vocabulary. But yeah. this kind of brings it on into a level of real life skills that aren't specifically language focused, but that need language. Yeah, so very helpful. Thank you so much. Um, anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Well, I think the, the, the key thing with young learners is to be aware that um, it can be sometimes frustrating and progress can be slow, but I think you've got to be thinking about the whole, you know, the whole educational picture mm -hmm. and not just about uh, fairly narrow linguistic aims. You, you've got to be thinking of, you know, their attitudes to learning a foreign language um, and, you know, making them better global citizens for the future as well, you know. It's, it sounds like a sort of highfalutin sort of aim or goal, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, we've got to think a bit humanist humanistically as well. I agree. I think that's very important to keep in mind. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time and giving us this insight. Um, I've learned a lot <laughs> about teaching young learners, so I, I hope the audience has found this as useful as I have. Um, thank you so much. Thanks to you, Shanna. All right. And how I, is, mm -hmm. how, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. How are things in New York? Are, them? are you in New York or Boston? I'm, I'm based in Boston, so I'm here in Boston. They're okay. Mm -hmm. I feel like they're, I don't want to say normalizing, but um, we're still, you know, very much being encouraged to social distance. Non-essential businesses are still closed. So I think at this point, everyone's getting sort of used to staying inside and we're just waiting to see what happens and where all of this goes. Yeah, what are things uh, like in Mexico City? Well, that sounds pretty similar to what, to what Mexico is. I think we're a little bit behind you though. Mm -hmm. yeah, we're, we're getting a bit more, a bit more strict. Yeah. Yeah, and, it sounds... Uh, mm -hmm. Kids aren't expected to go back to school until the beginning of May now. Yeah. Right. I'm not sure what it is here. I think it might be mid-May. I know in Michigan where um, and I have a young niece living in Michigan and m much of my family is there. Uh, they've pretty much just said that students won't be going back this school year. <laughs> just waiting until next year. But the cases are also much more numerous in Michigan than they are, mm -hmm. I think, in Massachusetts at this point. So crazy, crazy times. Crazy times, yeah. <laughs> well, but thank you. New opportunities to learn new skills though, right? Exactly, and I love that we're doing this. Um, if you're listening and you aren't aware of this already, we've started a free weekly webinar series to try to bring teacher training to you since we know that many of you are stuck at home inside as well. Um, so the next one will be this coming Friday. At the time of recording this, um, that would be on April 24th this is this coming Friday. So hopefully we'll see you there. If you want to register, you can go to tefelhorizons.com slash webinars. Um, and Andrew will be the guest for one of our webinars in this series. So we're excited for that as well. I yeah, look forward to that. I do as well. Well, it will be great to talk with you mm -hmm. then. And in the meantime, uh, stay happy and healthy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks, Andrew. Thanks for listening. Your support means so much to us. Feel free to leave a comment below if you enjoyed this and let us know what you want to hear about in upcoming episodes. If you know other teachers and travelers, we'd love for you to share this podcast with them too. And tune in this coming Tuesday for our next episode. Until then, you can find us at tefelhorizons.com. Let's keep making this big world smaller by expanding horizons.